Go Your Own Way is brought to you by Overmental.com, the media culture hive mind. Enjoy the adventure. Hey listeners, welcome to Go Your Own Way, the podcast where sometimes it's been forever. Been bad. And then you just want it to stop. (laughs) (laughs) There's been some episodes of this show where we've gone forever and we wanted it to stop. More than you oh, would listen. God, so true. So true. Hopefully that doesn't happen again with this one, but it might. <laughs> but first we should introduce ourselves. I'm Peter. Hi, Peter. Hi, Peter. Hi, and you can introduce yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I'm Jen. Hi, Jen. I'm back. <laughs> From Dreamland. <laughs> Rights. I've been on some adventures. Adventures. Adventures are good. Adventures are the best. That's why this podcast is the best. That's right. Because we get to choose our own adventures. The only thing, like the thing right behind adventures and goodness, is choices. Yep. (laughs) I'm Eric. isn't, Isn't there such a thing as too much choice? Eric is trying to introduce himself. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I think, isn't there a term for too much choice? Other than just, um, you know, shrieking radical freedom at people? Mm. Probably. Yeah. If you know what we're talking about, even though we don't, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. <laughs> Those are too many choices. They should only tell us on Facebook. <laughs> Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, last time we did a book that was read by Ryan, and that was pretty awesome. Revenge of the Rainbow Dragons. <laughs> you, you missed a good one, Jen. Um, God damn it. I could have done it. I was set up. <laughs> uh, this time, I this is the last of the books I have in my own inventory. <gasps> um the book stash that you bought at the thing? Yes, exactly. This is the last of my stash. I'm going to have to go buy more at some point. Oh my god. But um, the special thing about this is that this is a choose your own adventure super adventure. What? Which apparently means <laughs> on the little banner in the corner of the cover it says bigger adventure, more challenging choices, more thrilling dangers. So I, I think we're at um, the point on this podcast where we can uh, we can tackle those things. So this super adventure is called Danger Zones by R8 Montgomery. And we're going to get there on a highway. To the danger zone. Danger zone! I went to the danger, danger zone! We could start doing like karaoke on this podcast. <laughs> um, hey. That's another podcast, Peter. That's true. <laughs> I I, I want to say the way that these uh, super adventures work is that you're given, like at the beginning, you're given three choices about like which adventure to go on. And then from there, you kind of go in that direction and go on that journey. So it's sort of like three books in one, if I understand it correctly. Okay, I figure we would just we would choose one because this is a fairly long book. But I think if we choose one direction, it should be pretty reasonable. 
Um, there's a there's a um, a message from the author at the beginning of the book. I'm going to read it. It says, "Dear reader, writing choose your own adventure books is an adventure in itself, and I like doing it. Often I travel to places I write about. When I'm home in northern Vermont, with three feet of snow piled up against the door of my study, imagination takes over and the adventures unfold." The book you are about to read is my first super adventure. It will take you to faraway places where danger abounds. The Himalayan mountains, the Hong Kong underworld, and the infamous Asian desert called the Takla Makan. I haven't been to the desert, but I have hiked and climbed in the Himalaya and explored the crowded streets and lovely hills and harbor of Hong Kong. Each of these places is a setting of great beauty and mystery. I'm glad you're on these adventures with me, and I hope you enjoy Danger Zones. Yours, R.A. Montgomery. So, basically, what the hell are you doing reading my book? Go outside. Have adventures. Right? Let's go to Hong Kong, guys. Or the Himalayas? But she was saying, when it actually comes down to these stories, that she's sitting in home. When... Her when she's snowed in, when she has no other option. Well, Eric might be snowed in tonight. I might be. Oh. So he won't have a choice. It's finally starting to feel like winter, guys. It didn't get above 80. (laughs) (laughs) I was running around in flip-flops. What? A long skirt. A long sleeve shirt and a giant scarf today. Man, I would lose a toe if I wore flip flops. <laughs> flip flops are what I wear every day. Oh, my friend Alex is like that. Like, I swear to God, like he would go skiing in flip flops. Like, I don't know if he has some sort of superpower or what. Like, I'm that way with shorts. Yeah, I, I wear them year round. I mean, albeit it's not snowing here, but it still gets pretty cold. More power to you. More power to me. You just don't have any feeling in your legs. That's true. Just like I have no feeling in my toes. (laughs) Well, listeners, let's all feel something as we start Danger Zones. Oh, look at you, Peter. All right. You have three older brothers... They are explorers involved in fascinating but often dangerous adventures all over the world. It's an interesting career choice for all of them, just going on (laughs) dangerous adventures. Well, clearly you suck for not following the family profession. I guess so. Many times you have begged them to let you come along on one of their adventures, but you always get the same answer. You're too young. Wait until you've grown up. You hate feeling like a little kid. I could do it if they'd only give me a chance. You say to yourself over and over again, it's so hard being a kid. Recently, though, you've had a birthday. Now you're a teenager. That should make a difference, you think. And it does. Your brothers invite you to dinner at your favorite restaurant. The four of you leave your large, comfortable house and head for Al's, a hamburger house near a lake on the outskirts of town. What's up, you ask Michael, the oldest of your brothers, as he steers through the downtown traffic. Ask Pete, he replies, smiling. Okay, Pete, what's up, you ask. Ask Sam, Pete replies. They all laugh in a good-humored way. 
but it annoys you. You want to be treated like a grown-up, not a kid. Oh, and there's an <laughs> illustration here of you and your three brothers, and they all look like adults. And one of them has a huge beard. <laughs> so one of them is Peter. I mean, not Peter. One of them is Eric. That's <laughs> right. I'm secretly in this story, so I know what's up, guys. <laughs> okay. Finally, you're seated at Al's, and the waitress has taken your orders. Burgers and fries all around. Michael wraps a glass with his knife and says, Quiet all, the Society of, <laughs> the Society of Adventurers is now in session. May we hear from Pete? Pete looks directly at you and says in his most serious voice, After a long and heated debate, we have decided to invite you on one of our trips. All right, you exclaim. Several people in the restaurant look over at your table and you blush a little. Sam takes up where Pete left off. Pete and Michael and I are going on different trips at the same time this year. You can choose the trip you want to go on. So, I turn the meeting over to Michael to let him describe his trip first. What brothers talk like this? <laughs> uh, you can't believe it's finally going to happen, but there is Michael looking at you ready to describe his upcoming trip. I'm going to the Takla Makan Desert in Chinese Central Asia in search of a treasure caravan lost 200 years ago. Sounds great, Michael. I'm ready, you say. Not so fast. The Takla Makan is the world's most treacherous desert. It's dry death where moving sands create dunes 300 feet high. It's a forgotten area where hell lets loose its fury, as they used to say. Entire hmm. caravans were lost there in the fierce sandstorms called Black Hurricanes, and the Great Silk Route lost many of its greedy travelers as they crossed the more treacherous stretches through the desert. Michael pulls out a map showing Central Asia. You see, the Takla Makan Desert is bordered to the west by the Pamir Mountains and by the Karakorums to the south. On the north side are the Tin Shan Mountains, and to the east, the Gobi Desert, never known as a friendly place. I just imagine looking at like a map of Mordor or Middle Earth, I guess. <laughs> and they're like, we're going here to Mordor. <laughs> One does not simply walk into the Gobi Desert. <laughs> Clearly not. You look at the map, imagining high icy snow-capped peaks surrounding a sandy sea of blazing hot days and frigid nights. If caravans were buried or swallowed up by sandstorms, how can we ever hope to find one lost over 200 years ago, you ask? Good question, Michael replies. Recently, a twin-engine plane was lost over the Taklamakan, and an air search crew spotted what seems to be the remains of a huge caravan. They were flying at 10,000 feet, though, so who knows? Okay. Um, whatever they saw apparently has been uncovered by recent storms. We could get there only to find it buried again or to find that it wasn't a caravan at all. Michael pauses to take a bite of his hamburger, and Pete takes his turn. Let me lure you into a dazzling and dizzying world of mountain climbing, where the air is thin and the slopes are steep, Pete says. You look at him excitedly. You did well the last two summers when we taught you basic climbing skills on that vacation out on the Grand Tetons, he continues. Now you can put those skills to work on an unclimbed ridge on Annapurna in the Nepalese Himalayans. Nepalese Himalayans, excuse me. Um, 
The task of this expedition is to recover documents, secret age-old writings from Tibetan temples that were apparently lost in an escape attempt by three Tibetan monks four years ago. The monks were bringing the documents out of Tibet away from the Chinese conquerors and lost their way in bad weather. You mean they were in Nepal and safe, but they didn't know it, you ask? Right, Pete replies. The story goes that in a delirium caused by high altitude and fatigue, they tried to cross the Annapurnas instead of following the river valley. They were last seen heading for the unclimbed ridge on Annapurna's northeast side. What's so important about these secret documents, you ask? They're historical records of ancient Tibet, a treasure of their cultural history. The refugee, the refugee community in Nepal and India desperately wants them back, Pete replies. Haven't others tried to find them? Yes, but without success. You can't believe your ears. Your brother is actually ready and willing to take you along as a real member of his group. Wow, I've always wanted to climb with you, Pete, you say. Wait until you hear what Sam has up his sleeve before you decide, Pete suggests. <laughs> uh, lots of reading and no choices yet, but we're, we're almost there. Sam puts down almost his... there. Yay. S Sam puts down his cup of coffee very carefully, looks at each one of you seated around the table and says, I am searching for two lost Americans who were last seen at the Mandarin Hotel in Hong Kong. Here are their pictures. Their families have offered me a half million dollar reward if I can find them and bring them back safe and sound. I don't have many clues, Sam continues, but there are enough for a start. The search will involve danger. <laughs> Hong Kong is a city of intrigue, smuggling, Drug dealing and political kidnappings are common. They play for keeps. We have to be careful not to create an international incident. Remember, China surrounds Hong Kong, and the people are wary of any non-Chinese snooping around. I will try to keep you out of really dangerous spots, but I could use you, your quick mind, and your keen ideas. It's up to you, Michael says. Okay. I hope at least some of that made sense to you guys. Yep. So, our three choices for danger zones. We can decide to search for the lost caravan in the Taklamakan Desert with Michael. We can decide to search for the lost secret documents in Annapurna with Pete. Or we can decide to join Sam in searching for the two lost Americans in Hong Kong. Hmm. So, so we've got... You know, if we don't do any... You know, the ones that we don't do this time, we can always do in the future. Right. So we've got two wilderness ones and an urban one. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of feeling the mountain one. What do you guys think? The the second one? Yeah, uh, yeah, the second one. Because you're a mountain man. That's right. <laughs> I'm a trapper. Do you have any uh, preferences, Jen? I'm kind of I open. I have no preferences. Um, because... We're probably going to end up doing them all anyway. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on which one we want to do first. And I have no preference. Okay. So if Mountain Man wants to do a mountain one. I have no problem with fine that. Fine with me. I all could right. use some tips on how to survive in the mountains. And a mountain definitely is a danger zone. Because True. who knows? The new boyfriend might leave me. 
on a mountain in Utah, and I will have to find my way back <laughs> well, I would to hope that civilization, a.k.a. not Utah. Right? One of the yeah. neighboring states. Oh my god. Leave Utah if at all possible. I feel I feel like that's a decent rule. <laughs> I'll get to Colorado. I'll be safe there. That's right. And then, and then Eric will pick you up in his old beat up car. Yeah. That's right. With new tires. Nothing like a good road trip in a rattling wreck. <laughs> it actually like shakes it. much less on the highway now with the new tires. <laughs> Now what we need is to paint rattling wreck onto your car. <laughs> you can deal with that. You can enter it into those redneck derbies. Oh hell yeah. Oh yeah. That'd be fun. Destruction derby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> could do that. I could do I'm pretty sure you could do anything to that car and it'd just keep running, like <laughs> It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> hmm. All right. Well, I guess we're going to uh, Annapurna no. with Pete. All in right. The, the high, highest danger zones of all. You decide you'd like to go with Pete, and before you know it, you're on your way. How much longer, Pete, you ask, peering out the window of the jet at the ground 35,000 feet below? Not long now, another hour, and we'll be in Kathmandu, capital of Nepal. It's hard being patient after 26 hours of flying from New York to India and on to Kathmandu. Nepal, 26 hours, holy shit. <laughs> and this is in 1980-something, where they didn't have, you know... Yeah, 1987, they didn't have all the uh, all the free TV and stuff to entertain you. <laughs> No, but they did have food and booze. Instead of now, we have to pay for fucking everything. There needs to be an airline that just has a buffet. Oh. Like like a casino buffet, but it's on an airplane. Oh, yeah. And also unlimited That sounds booze. like rich people shit. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Let's make this happen, Peter. <laughs> well... Fund us on Patreon. We will use the funds to start a airline, which I'm sure is extremely easy and not <laughs> basically impossible. Oh my god. When um when I first graduated from school and I was looking for jobs, one of the first jobs I applied for was for like a startup airline in uh northern San Diego County. And basically they were having that problem like takes years and years like it takes like a decade to get um approval from the uh, government the cfra or whatever whatever that um that thing is that you know whatever it it's like extremely hard to you know get approval to do all that which i mean which i'm glad it is because you don't want just anybody starting an airline right Um, yeah but then like so I, I I interviewed for that job and I didn't get it. But then I would say less than a year later, I looked back just to see how they were doing, and they like the entire company had gone. Basically, no one no one was getting paid, no one was working because they were just waiting to get approved, basically, and they ran out of money. Damn. So <laughs> I was kind of glad I didn't get that job. Yeah, that's rough. 
I but, worked at a ton of places that have gone out of business, and it sucks. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> 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 I got laid off because of Obamacare. That was fun. Dang. Really? Um, Does Obama yeah. really care? I mean... Because I was working for a doctor's office, and... When Obamacare went into effect, all of a sudden, the doctor's office got, like, patients got cut in half. And so they just didn't have the money to pay me anymore. So I got laid off. Weird. Sorry, just the way you phrased that. All the patients got cut in half. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that's the kind of doctor he was. What causes that? Like, why would suddenly half your patients no longer want to go to that doctor? Like, um, I have no idea. Like, you know, I mean, because Obamacare really sort of opened up more options to people for their health care. It was the reason that I was given. Yeah, no, I mean, like, so. If Obamacare starts and you very quickly see your patient count get cut in half, like, I don't necessarily... Then clearly something was wrong. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily direct cause and effects. It was something but... about, like, the different insurance companies and, like, how they covered things. And I was working for basically, like, a dialysis center... And all of a sudden, like, insurance wasn't covering um, the cost of that. Like, some insurance wasn't covering the cost of that. And so a bunch of patients, like, were gone. I wonder if maybe he was in tight with one particular insurance company or even one particular employer. And mm -hmm. suddenly when those people had more options open to them. Yeah. Like. It's entirely possible. Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> Anyways, we should continue on our adventure and That's not true. bitch about getting laid off. I'm sorry you got laid off. That totally Besides, sucks. getting laid off forced me to go back into music full time. And, that's and your now passion. look where I am. Yeah. So it was a good thing. Hooray. So yeah, thanks Obama. <laughs> <laughs> also, um... No one's going to give a shit about this, but very quick correction of something I said earlier. It was the FAA. Yeah, oh, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> um, the FRA is the railroad version of the FAA. So, fun fact. That's what I don't know how I got this too mixed up. Anyway. Um, blah, blah, blah. It's been 26 hours on the plane. India. Nepal is the home of Everest, Annapurna. Dwalgiri and other great mountains. Out the window of the plain, you see the snow-capped Himalayas. The This mountain chain stretches for 1,900 miles, a fortress between Tibet, China, and India. A whirlwind of activity pushes you through the next three days as you check the supplies for the expedition. Climbing ropes, ice axes, crampons, fuel, food, down parkas and pants, boots, gloves, hats, sunglasses, snow goggles, and medical equipment. How will we ever get up this mountain? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> how will 
How will we ever get this up the mountain? You ask Pete. Slightly different question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, No problem on our backs with the aid of porters. You look up at the rim of the mountains surrounding the city. High clouds brush the peaks, leaving silver streamers. Six land rovers ferry you. Pete, Sangy, your Sherpa guide, three other climbers named Chris, Lauren, and Kathy, your gear and the porters over a torturous winding road, along with a beautiful river valley, and finally to the town of Pokhara, the jumping-off place for the expedition. Um, I assume not literally. The jumping-off place. Right. That would be bad. I, I don't think they've installed the giant trampolines to get you to the top of the mountains <laughs> faster yet. It's coming. Elon Musk is working on it. <laughs> Thanks, Elon Musk. Yay. Uh, this season, bad weather has plagued other expeditions, causing several deaths from avalanches and exposure. It looks like the monsoons are hanging in late this year, Pete says, gazing up at the mountains. Their crowns smothered in white clouds. Uh, when that happens, the snow builds up and white death threatens everyone. That's what probably got our Tibetan friends four years ago. This could be a wild goose chase. If they were buried by an avalanche, we'll never find them. Chris, who has been studying the map of the Annapurna range, looks up. Yes, that could be. Then again, they might have dug a snow cave on the ridge. Avalanches could have covered it and then uncovered it. The documents could be found there, in good shape. It's a long shot, but worth a try. How about the story that they made it out of the Annapurna Sanctuary and were lost down in the Kali Gandaki River Gorge? Maybe we should search there too, you add. That kind of came out of nowhere. Good idea, Pete says. Some of you could go on a search of the Kali Gandaki with Chodak, Pete's Tibetan friend from Pokhara, while the rest of us set up base camp and wait out the monsoon. What do you want to do, Pete asks. So we can decide to go with the group to set up base camp, or we can search the Kali Gandaki River Gorge with Chodak. (laughs) Are you making a decision, or do you have indigestion? (laughs) I don't know. Would you like some Pepto-Bismol? That stuff is really yummy. Dude, I love the taste of Pepto-Bismol. I love the taste of Pepto-Bismol. Right? Like, wouldn't you eat Pepto-Bismol flavored candy? I totally would. I totally would. This is great product placement. Oh my god. Yum, yum, yum. Pepto-Bismol is amazing. It's like candy. (laughs) Buy it now. From your local retailer. Um, One day we will get advertisers. <laughs> and we'll have a lot of fun. I learned like three years ago that some people uh, refrigerate their Pepto-Bismol. <gasps> and it opened up a whole new world for me. <laughs> a whole new world. world. Yeah. Alright, what was my choice again? So, <laughs> we can set up base camp. A somewhere on the mountain, or we can go down into the river gorge with one of the Tibetan people and look for look for the Annapurna sanctuary. Hmm. 
I kind of felt that that option was thrown in there at the last second. Um, yeah. Whereas there's been a lot of setup for like where the monks were and everything in the mountains. Nah, that 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 makes a certain amount of sense. If I mean, if if our goal is to find the documents, I feel like there's a better chance that they're going to be in the mountains. But that's just me. I mean, setting up base camp seems wise. Do that now before weather changes and then bad shit goes down. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I've learned anything from reading... What's that book? Into Thin Air? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Weather and season are very important. Yeah. Otherwise, you end up like the Donner Party. I was just about to say, we, we learn these things from and the And then you party. eat babies. <laughs> <laughs> How funny would that be if that, that ended up being a choice in this book? <gasps> baby face meat. Oh. But who will bring a baby? Maybe we should bring um, a baby just in case. Dude, always bring a baby. <laughs> like. Just in case. Just in case. Why are you bringing a baby? Just in case. Just in Why case. Why are you not wants. bringing a baby? Right. Uh, okay. This is so wrong, guys. <laughs> well, you know what's so right, <laughs> listeners. No, no, no. no. Going, no oh, this sorry. is so wrong, because now we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll bring a baby just in case you need food. <laughs> Babies, <laughs> a great source of protein. I feel like we're doing product placement again, but it feels really weird. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I better keep reading. I'd like to help set up camp, you say. Six days later, you, Pete, and Sangi, the, the guide, approach the high open amphitheater called the Annapurna Sanctuary. The meadow-like land is ringed by towering giants more than 24,000 feet high. The entrance to the sanctuary is guarded by a jagged peak known as Makapukar. <laughs> this will do for base camp, Pete says, pointing out a flat piece of ground tufted with yellow-brown gla- grass. Not glass, that would be a terrible place for base camp. <laughs> Altitude here is 16,000 feet. Holy crap. He points to a high, fluted ridge on the northeast flank of the sprawling Annapurna. That's the spot. They were last seen on that rocky outcrop on the ridge. Then a storm came in. They weren't seen again. It looks tough, you say, staring in awe at the gigantic mountain glittering in the sun. High winds whip streamers of snow off the summit. It is tough. Winds, avalanches, low temperatures, lack of oxygen, all make it dangerous. Being careful and thoughtful and having a good deal of courage is how to survive at these altitudes. Also, knowing when to turn back is important. Hmm. Keep that in mind, people. (laughs) You nod in agreement. Hey, what's that, you say, pointing at a shimmering light cascading down the flank of Annapurna. I don't know, answers Pete. There it is again, you say. Both you and Pete strain to see the arcing yellow light that radiates from the distant slope. Flares, emergency flares... Someone's in trouble, Pete says, rummaging in his knapsack for binoculars. Look, you can see with these, he says, handing them to you. You spot a red 
tent high on the ridge. A figure crouches by the tent waving a flag. Then the figure fires another flare. He's not that high, Pete says. He's just about where we were going to climb to anyway. We could reach him. It wouldn't be too rough. So we can decide to make a rescue attempt immediately. Or we can wait for the rest of our party to arrive first. But it could be six to eight hours before that happens. Well, let's go rescue the guy. He's shooting off flares. He's probably dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the way to go. I mean, for the record, though, usually when I'm shooting off a flare gun, I'm usually pretty high. <laughs> I've always wanted a flare gun. Well, Christmas is coming up. <gasps> it's true. I might need to get a flare gun. Dude. In case I... the boyfriend leaves me in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, this is first Christmas with a new boyfriend, so you can kind of ask for whatever you want. Well, he's gonna okay, because here, he gave me a knife on our first date, because <laughs> apparently you always need to have a knife, so I feel like one of these days, he's just gonna, like, dump me in the middle of nowhere and be like, hope you survive. <laughs> Prove you're worthy. <laughs> that sounds I very Corndorfian. I might be Corndorf. <laughs> <laughs> So is it like is it like a survival knife? Is it a Swiss like, Army knife? It's got a little bit of stuff in it, but it's just like a knife, like one that a dude would usually just like carry in his pocket. He had an extra one, so he just gave it to me, <laughs> and so I just leave it in my car. All right. So when there's bad drivers on the road, you just give them an angry face with a knife and they <laughs> leave you alone. Dude, L.A. driving is very cutthroat like that. I might have to start using the knife. Right? I might also get arrested. Well. What do you do? Because you're just holding an object while you're driving. It's not like you're actually able to hurt other people with it. Yeah, it's this called brandishing. And, yeah. uh, it is and, in fact And illegal. this is California. I feel Good like point. the laws are way stricter here. That's true. Yeah, no. Like, threatening people with a weapon is <laughs> illegal pretty much no matter what. And I mean, this Good might point. just be me, but if you wave a knife at me in your car, I assume you're not above using your car as a weapon. Because clearly you're pretty unhinged. Yeah. Yeah, and I, let me tell you, I've been hit by a number of cars, <laughs> and it kind of sucks. <laughs> and how many of them were holding knives? Uh, none of them so far. Hmm. Well, just don't drive around Jenna, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess not. Oh my god. Uh, did, did we decide that we were going to make a rescue attempt immediately, even yes. though our whole party isn't here? Yeah. The man doesn't have six hours. Who does, really? I know, like, can you yeah. imagine? Like, he would be sitting there, shooting off flares, like, why aren't they rescuing me? And we're just gonna, like, stare at him and just wait for him to die. Right. So that we can eat his there. cheek meat. <laughs> <laughs> gonna eat your face meat. Gonna eat it. 
No time to wait, Pete, you say. I think we should go ahead now. If we wait for the others, it'll be dark. It's now or tomorrow, and tomorrow might be too late. That sounds like a song lyric or something. I don't know why. It does. Pete nods in agreement and busies himself getting ropes, ice axes, food, and sleeping bags from the supplies that Yuhi and Sangi have brought up. Let's go, you say, shouldering your pack. The three of you cross the glacial debris and climb up the snow slope, snow slope directly below where you spotted the tent and flares. Already, afternoon shadows are lengthening. Sangi is sturdy and experienced. The Sherpa people are famous for their skill in the mountains. <laughs> well, I'm glad he's sturdy and experienced. I'd hate to get a, like the one Sherpa who doesn't know what he's doing. Right. <laughs> this is my first time on the mountain. <laughs> um, mountain is sad today, Sangi says. Peter agrees with him. Then he sets to cutting steps with his ice axe on the steep section of ice wall. A chilly breeze slips down the mountain, making you glad for your parka. From high above is the creak and groan of ice and snow moving, the threat of an avalanche. This certainly sounds like a danger zone, listeners. Danger zone! Danger zone! The red and blue nylon, <laughs> nylon rope linking the three of you looks fragile against the ice and the crystal snow. Up you go, moving swiftly for the altitude which is now well over 17,000 feet. Your breath comes in short gasps, but the long trek into Annapurna Sanctuary has acclimated you well. Watch out for that overhang, Pete says, twisting an ice screw into blue ice and clipping on with a carabiner to the rope. Right, you reply, looking anxiously at the projecting lip of snow, ice, and rock over which Pete is now disappearing. Moments later, you have cleared the obstacle and are standing beside him, waiting for Sangi. Look, you can see the tent clearly now, you say. It's still two to three hours away, Pete says, surveying the steep route to the isolated rib of rock where the red tent is perched. There's no sign of life at the tent. You have been gone three hours since the first flare sighting. That's just about where the Tibetans were last seen, Pete says. An eerie sensation runs through your body as you think of the three lost, frightened Tibetans on the ridge four years ago. Who is there now, you wonder? Every now and again, pieces of ice and snow bounce crazily down the, down the slope, spinning in lazy arcs and crashing to the glacier floor in a shower of crystals. Watch out, those little ones can kill you, Pete says seriously. Okay, you reply, adjusting the chain strap on your yellow climbing helmet. Let's move to the left. The route looks better over there. Good idea. That slope is fairly gradual and seems stable. It leads to the ledge below the tent. Still no signs of life, you report. Sengi is in the lead now, gracefully swinging his ice axe, cutting steps in the ice. You coil the rope twice over your shoulder, taking up slack to belay in the event of a slip. You position your feet in a firm stance, feeling the sharp 12-point crampons bite into the ice. Exhaustion begins to set in. It's been a long day, and the altitude, cold, and exertion draw heavily on your energy reserves. Pete hands you a piece of chocolate. You feel a surge within minutes of eating it. It won't last long, you say to yourself. I have to conserve my strength and energy. 
no sense in having to be rescued on this rescue mission. Uh, let's see. Two hours later, just as the final rays of the Himalayan sun sneak by the mountain peaks, you, Pete, and Sangi reach the ledge and peer into the tent. Hey, anyone here, you say, pushing aside the nylon and flashing the light inside. No one is there. Two sleeping bags lie in a jumble. Um, a cooking pot and stove are mute reminders that people were there just recently. No one, you say, in a state of shock. Pete nods solemnly and points to tracks leading even higher above this tiny outpost. They've gone, he says. Nothing we can do except hope. Sangi fixes ice screws, and the three of you rappel down the ice and snow slopes quickly and efficiently. Soon you are safely back at base camp. Mountain what is, is the point of launching flares if you're not going to hang out where people saw the flares come from? What and, the fuck? And why would you go even higher if you were in trouble on a mountain? Yeah. I don't know. This doesn't make any sense. Mountain is mountain, Sangi says, looking to the great Annapurna. It's <laughs> a great observation. I wonder if they were after the same thing we're after, you say. It looks like they disappeared, just like the three Tibetans. Maybe there's a curse on those documents, a curse designed to protect them from falling into the wrong hands. They would be safe locked up in the snows of this great mountain. The three of you become silent, lost in your private thoughts. The end? <laughs> what? what? Why does it end there? That doesn't make any sense. How? What? How? What? <laughs> yeah, I'm legitimately having trouble accepting that as an end to anything. Like, how the fuck does that work? That, yeah, oh, that led nowhere. Hey, these people need help. Let's go help them. No, they're not there. Maybe there's a curse. The end. I know you can do better than that, R.A. Montgomery. Yeah. Clearly not. <laughs> she just gave up. <laughs> Well, it's definitely an credit, author fail. To her credit, we were in a danger zone. But we didn't even <laughs> die. Or even make a decision that seemed to have any consequences. Yeah, that too. I, apparently, if we had gone to the river basin or whatever, maybe something interesting would have happened. But, like, what, if we didn't follow the flares... People were going to show up at base camp and just be like, oh, nope, curse. Never mind. I was miraculous in, in this long ass book. I was miraculously able to pinpoint two different pages where we made choices. So we could redo one of them. Okay. Um, one of them being instead of going to base camp, we would go search the Kali Gandaki River Gorge. Or instead of making the rescue attempt, we wait for the rest of the party. I want to go all the way back and do the gorge. Like yeah, I feel let's like go back and do the gorge. Okay, I guess that has more potential for something different happening, huh? Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. You like the looks of Chodak when you meet him. He has a kindness that seems to radiate from his eyes. His voice is soft yet firm. Yes, I have. So do we have like a crush on him? <laughs> um, he's so rugged. Yes, I have heard tales of the three monks who were trying to save the secret teachings of our beloved Tibet, Chodak says to you. 
But haven't you searched for them before, you ask Jodak? Of course we have, my young friend, but the Kaligandaki River Gorge is a huge place, steep, often dangerous. What time of year was it when they were last seen, you ask? Springtime, late spring, and the avalanches and winter snow melt filled the gorges. The river became fierce and angry. If they weren't lost in the mountains and they made it to the river, they could have been lost there just as easily. The documents would have been destroyed. Once you make it to a river, you basically can't get lost. <laughs> like, know, you either go upstream or downstream. <laughs> there, there are two options. <laughs> you, Kathy, and Shodak are waiting on a bench outside of the schoolhouse of the Tibetan Refugee Center in Pokhara. Steaming cups of Tibetan tea rest on a small table. The sun is high in the sky, and in the distance you can see the white peaks of the mountains. Below is the luxurious green of the rich agricultural valley. There are rumors about their being, mur- their being murdered, you say. Jodak nods his head, avoiding looking at you. He pours another cup of the steaming hot tea, which is made with butter and salt added to the dark tea leaves. People talk and rumors fly, but it is best not to heed them, he replies. Who would have murdered them and why, you ask, unsatisfied with Chodak's response. Who knows, Chinese agents perhaps, thieves, people who wanted the secret documents, the treasure of Tibet. I heard the name of a place, a town perhaps, where they were supposed to have been seen. It was Giropani, wasn't it? Rumors, only rumors, says Chodak. Well, I say we start there. How about it, Chodak? If you seek trouble, you will find trouble, my friend. There are feelings and emotions that are hundreds of years old. It might be best to avoid this trouble. We could search higher up the gorge. Hmm. Mm. So, we can go to Gorapani, which is this emotionally charged town. Or we can go up the gorge of the Kali Gandaki. It seems very strange to say that emotions and feelings are hundreds of years old. Like, I think we've kind of had the same emotions and feelings for yeah. basically ever, right? Mm-hmm. Are we mm-hmm. are we constantly discovering new feelings? I feel moogie. <laughs> oh yeah, you wouldn't know about it. It's just invented. Mooginess. I felt that before it was cool. <laughs> right? Like, some sort of weird, like, Pokemon quest. Collect them all. Always Collect all the feelings. feelings. Yeah. <laughs> so, what, which of those two things do you think sounds more likely to find the documents? Um. Shit. I don't know. I kind of think the gorge, but. I mean, again, I'm. It's they're kind of throwing like a secondary thing at the last second and being like, "Well, that's a choice too," even though we were kind of led in with the original choice. Yeah, maybe switching it up is the way to go. Like, I mean, they 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 threw the gorge in even like quicker than this, and that seems to be a better option so far. Yeah, uh, maybe we should hit up the town. Okay. What do you think, Jen? Town. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hmm. 
I know it's a long way to Gorapani, and I understand your reluctance to stir up old troubles, but I want to check out that rumor. We can't just ignore it. Chodak gives you a pained look, but agrees. The trail is long, we must leave at once, he says. You, Kathy, and Chodak struggle into heavily loaded packs. Enough food and supplies for at least five days out in the river gorge, if that's where you end up. Footstep after footstep measures the time as the three of you head up the long trail. Hours pass, punctuated by stops for the hot tea brewed over a mountain stove and for oranges and biscuits. When you look up, you see the mountains with their vast white coats. That night, you sleep under the stars. Toward dawn, you are awakened by a presence, a living, breathing presence. (gasps) It's a wolf. It's a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Which one do you think it is, listener? Hoping for baby. (laughs) God. Who's there, you ask? No response. Only the wind. You peer into the half-light of dawn. The other two are asleep. I'm probably just imagining things you say out loud, hoping one of the others will awaken. They don't. They're dead. Mm-hmm. You can't go back to sleep, and you toss and turn, trying to find a comfortable spot on the bumpy ground beneath the sleeping bag. The thin air mattress isn't much help. Finally, you get you give up and stumble out of the sleeping bag. Streaks of gold are lighting the peaks of the mountains. A rooster welcomes the sun. You search in vain for your flashlight. Drat, I thought I left it right by the sleeping bag, you think. You reach for your rucksack, and there you discover the note pinned on the front of it. Go back now or else, it says in bold print. Okay. Someone doesn't want us to go there. (laughs) I bet Shodak wrote that while we were sleeping. (laughs) He just really doesn't want to go. Baby. On the back of the paper is a fingerprint in what might be blood. In the distance, you see smoke rising from the chimneys of houses in a small community. You are a day's hike from Gorapani. So I did hear someone. Someone did come to our camp last night. You rouse Chodak and Kathy and tell them what happened. We're on the right track. I'm sure of it now, Chodak. Don't you agree? Chodak looks even sadder than before. I told you we would only cause trouble. We must be careful now. There are spirits in these mountains who do not want us here. Spirits who write notes and put them on your backpack. Uh You look at him and then turn to the mountains. Sunlight has washed over the flanks and shoulders of the great mountains. You feel a wonderful sense of peace. What's this, Kathy says. She's holding a large package wrapped in what looks like aging yak skin tied with leather thongs. I found it next to me, she says. Chodak jumps to his feet, and before you know it, he has grabbed the package, unwrapped it, and slashed the leather thongs with a knife. It's the secret papers. It's the papers, he cries. (laughs) He holds up page after page of parchment covered with careful Tibetan script. Some of them are colored in faded crimson and gold paint. Shodak is close to tears. I knew they would come back one day. I knew it. These are important papers for the safety of my people. With them, we will grow and survive the terrors of the Chinese occupation of our homeland. Without them, we would not be able to. They represent our beliefs and heritage. You look off at the nearby village 
wondering who brought the papers back and why, and who issued the warning. But it's not important, you say yourself. What is important is that they are back. The end. Hey, that's pretty satisfying. Well, we found the papers, but it made no sense at all to me what happened. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because someone just gave them back. Right? And, like, was it two completely separate entities warning us to not go any further and giving us exactly what we wanted? Like, go no further, even though I've given you what you were going after, so there'd be no reason for you to go any further anyway. But I'm going to warn you, because I like warning people of things. (laughs) Yeah, that... I didn't really understand the connection of any of that. Mm -hmm. That happened. Maybe you should stick to writing one book at a time. Instead of three. Montgomery. Montgomery, yeah. Like, I think... I think three and one is straining your... Abilities. Yeah. Well, what was I going to say? She did say this is her first super adventure. Were you going to say that we managed to write a book with six adventures that's much better? That's true. And the dangers are real in every story. That's right. That's right. Serial killers. Sasquatches. All of these Mm -hmm. things. Totally real. And if you listeners want to play those stories, buy our book. Uh, Dances with Sasquatch. I almost forgot the name of it. (laughs) On the Kindle store. I guess that's one down for Danger Zones. Uh, yeah. some Someday in the future, we can play the other two stories out of there. You listeners can hear us next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>